0: All right, we're in 1 Thessalonians. We're headed into chapter 4, so turn with me to 1 uh, Thessalonians, excuse me, chapter 4. We will look at Philippians in there, but we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians. Starting in verse 1. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness." Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Let's pray. Lord, we're, we're blessed to be able to come into Your presence this morning to sing Your praises, to adore You with worship. We're blessed, Father, to be able to hear Your Word, to be able to come into Your presence. And we ask right now, a spirit fill each one of us with an extra measure of yourself to hear rightly from your very words the words that you inspired men long ago your very words and speak to us now lord have your way with us in us through us to your glory amen all right we're going to start with a question today raise your hand if you're holy. <laughs> so I was like, you guys aren't sure. I only see like a, like two and a half hands. Yes. Melinda's in the back, like, I don't know. <clears throat> All right, well, that actually is um, you guys played perfectly into my illustration, <laughs> because we're going to be talking about uh, sanctification today, and we're actually going to be talking about some different aspects to sanctification. And I'll answer the question of whether you should have raised your hand, or it'll probably just be answered naturally as I'm as I'm preaching. I want you to notice something though in regards because we've kind of been talking about the deity of Christ the last few weeks, and even when we talk about sanctification and holiness, I mean that's ultimately going to come through Jesus. I want you to no- notice what uh, historian um, Kenneth Scott Latreille said. He said this: "It is highly significant that in one as sensitive." morally as was Jesus and who taught his followers to ask for the forgiveness of their sins that there is no hint of any need of forgiveness for himself right i mean he's always like you know forgive others and that's a big thing and how many times do you forgive right no no hint of him ever doing that he goes on no asking of pardon either from those about him or of god then a, another theologian thomas oden uh who writes a great defense of the sinlessness of Christ. He explains why Jesus' lack of any apparent guilt over his own sin is quite revealing. Now, check this out. Those who have walked the furthest on the way to holiness are those likely to be most keenly aware of their own guilt. You guys agree with that? Like, as you grow, if you're if you're a true believer and you're growing in the Lord, like the, when I first got saved... I was kind of like, man, I, I got this thing down. Like, look at all these changes that I've made, right? And I kept growing and growing. And as I've gotten closer to Jesus, and as I've grown, I've realized like how great my guilt is, how great my sin is, how sinful I really am. So those who walk, who have walked the furthest on the way to holiness, are those likely to be most keenly aware of their own guilt. Saint Teresa of Avila, for example understood most acutely how distant she was from the full possibility of life in Christ. But it was not because she was living distantly from the life, but so near to it. This was not morbid preoccupation with guilt, but simply the expression of daily life lived so near to God that she was more painfully aware of each small increment of distance from God than others might have known in a lifetime. Yet Jesus... Whose closeness to God could hardly be questioned, showed no evidences of such guilt or remorse or distance, but rather sustained the closest filial relation. Isn't that good? I mean, it makes sense, right? That he was sinless, right? And he encourages followers to walk in in repentance and to walk in in humbleness and to walk in that attitude of forgiveness. But we never see that idea in him himself. Why? He didn't have to ask for forgiveness. He never was sinful. This really kind of talks about the aspect that I want to look at today in regards to our walk with the Lord, and it is the issue of sanctification. Really, these uh, first eight verses and even more talk about this idea of sanctification. Now, when we normally talk about sanctification, we're thinking about the progressive work of God and man that makes us more and free from sin. And more like Christ. It's a progressive work. That's how we normally think of it. That's why you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, we just read it. At the very end, he's like, You receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing. Say, hey, you're you're pleasing God and you're walking with him, but then what does it say? That you do so what? More and more. More. You guys need some coffee or something? You're kind of of tired today. All right. So you do so more and and more. What's the idea? It's progressive. You are progressing in your walk with the Lord. Now, that word itself, sanctification, it means to be set aside. And if you look in the Old Testament and follow it through, and that idea, what is set aside is considered what? Holy. Okay, so those terms for the New Testament and the Old Testament writers, they're, they're pretty synonymous. Set aside. To be set aside is to be holy. That's where we get words like saint, sanctification, and the word holy itself. It's really all from the same Greek root word. But here's where I think some of us get tripped up and why we weren't sure if we should raise our hands. There's actually three aspects of sanctification. There's three aspects. The first one is what we would call positional. Sanctification, positional sanctification. When you are saved, when you're first saved, when you are very first saved, when God regenerates your heart, what does He do? He takes you and does what? He sets you apart, right? He sets you apart. So, from that moment of salvation, you have a holiness that comes from God. You are His. And no one else's. So He sets you apart. God does this. He takes us, sets us apart, puts us apart for what? His purpose is His glory. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. So in verse 3, Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be... What, what should we be? Holy, right? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. So we're holy. When does that occur? Before the foundation of the world. Where does that occur? In Christ. In Him, before the foundation of the world, what? That we should be holy. Okay? That's positionally talking. That's what we are. Holy. Holy. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. We'll see a similar idea. Alright, probably one of the most unpopular verses in the Bible for the modern ears. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then look what it says, friends. And such were some of you. That's true for all of us. All of us. And if you're a believer, it's past tense. Such were some of you. And then notice what he says. But you were washed, you were sanctified, You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Look at all those things. Verse 11, that's past tense stuff. It already happened. You were washed. He's talking to believers here. You were sanctified. You were justified. All past tense. That's what God does in salvation. So we have this thing called positional sanctification. So are you holy? Yes is the answer. You really are. You really are positionally, you're holy. Look at First Peter chapter two, verse nine. First Peter two, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, uh, a what nation? A holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So you are a holy nation. Where does our positional sanctification come from? It comes from Christ. It comes from Him. That's why those verses are talking about in Christ, through Him, all of those things. We are in Christ. If you've been united with Christ, you've been united with Him in His death and His resurrection. We have holiness because Christ has holiness. We get what He has. It's a beautiful thing when you start to wrap your mind around it we get his holiness he merited it for us he shares it with us okay this is why paul over and over again can refer to believers as saints you can you can translate it and some versions do holy ones and that every single letter how does he start you know to the church here to the church there to the saints called in christ you know something along those lines why can he Call them that. Why can he call us that? Because our position before God is one of holiness. And let me just say something. Friends, this this truth, it should impact you. I mean, think about that for a moment. God sees you not just righteous, which is part of justification, but he also sees you as holy. That's the sanctification part. If you're in Christ, then you're a saint and you're a holy one. And a lot of times, we, we, we flip that around. And we feel like God's mad at us or, or looking down on us. <clears throat> I don't believe that's an accurate picture of how God looks at his children. Think of you, parents, with your own children. Yes, you can be frustrated, you can be unhappy with them. We are not children by nature by wrath anymore originally we were that's what we were but now we are children of god god loves his children he wants his children to flourish he wants to bless them he wants to see them walk in his ways in holiness so that's our positional sanctification let's talk about the one that most of you think of when you think about sanctification it's called our progressive sanctification Okay, positional sanctification, that's actually God's work and and God's work alone. But progressive sanctification emphasizes our work in obedience, cooperating with God and His grace. That's the idea of what we just read in 1 Thessalonians, that we do so more and more. We are working more and more towards following the commands that Christ has laid out for us. Kind of the quintessential verse regarding this concept is seen in Philippians. Turn there. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if that's where the verse ended and there was a, there was a period there and nothing else after it, it might be a little alarming. You've got to take 12 and 13 together. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Okay, so there's the the aspect where you're helping. it's, It's a progressive thing. You are walking in the ways of the Lord, and as a believer, you should be growing in your walk with Him. People should say, okay, where you were last year, where you were five years ago, where you were ten years ago, is different from where you are today. That should be progressive. You're progressing in holiness. There's an aspect here, verse 12, you got a part to play, friends. you got a part to play. But there's an aspect here where God has a part to play. Okay. You cooperating with Him. The Holy Spirit working through you. God's, and and over and over again, even in Thessalonians in chapter 1, you know, his mighty power, which works in you, right? So it's God working, but it's also you working. You working with the Lord. So this idea is the process where, where we daily become more and more like Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 12. Verse 1, Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy. Does your version say holy? Okay. You guys are still waking up, man. 11.15. Come on. <clears throat> to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. What's Paul doing here? He's appealing. That's what he says. I appeal to you, brothers. What does he want us to do? Present our bodies as a living sacrifice. How does he want us to present them? Holy and blameless. That's on us to do, to do the presentation. Keep going. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, it wouldn't make sense for us to be commanded to do something as believers if we couldn't follow through on that command. So he commands, we listen, we obey. Progressive sanctification is not optional. I remember, this was a number of years ago, meeting with, with someone for lunch, and they were just in a really bad place, and they weren't, they to their own admission, weren't not walking with the Lord at all. <clears throat> and as I talked to them, over and over, they were basically saying, I'm, I'm just waiting for the Lord to, to get a hold of me. I'm just waiting for the Lord to wake me up. I'm just wait-. It, was, it was all on, on God to do something about the sin that this person was in, and they were waiting for some like magic lightning bolt from above to strike them. That's a scary place to be, when you realize that, that you really need God, but you won't do anything about it. Think about that. God is not the one that holds back. He doesn't hold back. He's not holding back. If you're stuck in a place, He's not the one holding back. There's some issue, some challenge, something with where you're at that is the issue. And if you just sit around waiting for God to intervene, it's very unlikely to happen as a believer. Very unlikely to happen. If you're at that place, which could be possible, here's what you need to do. You need to get on your face and cry to the Lord, like, Lord, I don't, I don't want to repent. I don't want to get right with you. I'm apathetic towards you, and I confess that and help me out. Get on your knees, humble yourselves, repent before the Lord, and at least cry out for his mercies. At least cry out to him to help you with where you're at. But if, to just go kind of, you know, bumbling along and, and not walking with the Lord and not getting in his word and not seeking him, that ain't going to do you any good. You're just, you're, you're getting what we talked about last week, that seared conscience, honestly. Uh, seared conscience as far as a believer can get that, but you're getting that seared conscience. Progressive sanctification, it's not optional. If you're not demonstrating growth, then I would be very concerned for your spiritual state. When we look at the New Testament, believers progress in their walk with the Lord. That's what happens. If you're not progressing, you need to ask why. Sanctification, it's not just God's will for His people. It's, it's the desire of His people. Okay? It's the desire of His people. We, as believers, should want to grow more and more in sanctification. We don't have the excuse remember years ago, gently confronting a young lady about an issue, and, and her response was, that, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. Well, yeah, that, that's just the way I am, too. When I'm walking in the flesh, being rude and mean to everybody, I'm like that, too. But there's a reason that, that Jesus bought you with his blood, and, and the reason you got the Spirit, and the reason he's got fruit that he wants to give you, because he wants you to be sanctified and walk in his ways. So yeah, we we all can be like, well, that's just how I am. I know, that's the problem. Yeah. It's in sin. God wants to do something about it. What, is John, uh, what does Jesus say in the book of John, chapter 14? If you love me, you will what? Yeah, obey my commandments. Keep my commandments. Okay, do you love Jesus? Yeah. Okay, then you'll do what he commands. Yeah. Okay, not perfectly. This is, it's progressing. Okay. It's progressing. We're still slipping up. We're still messing up. We're still tripping. But but our our attitude towards sin is a lot different than before we got saved. And hopefully our attitude even from years ago when we first got saved is different. And it doesn't have its mastery anymore over you. Let's just pause briefly because I do want to talk about the differences between justification and sanctification justification it's a legal standing a declarative act by god as the judge he declares us to be righteous you hear righteous you need to think justification you hear holy you need to think th- sanctification <clears throat> those those are the words that are kind of li- they are linked together okay justification righteous sanctification holy so it's a legal standing, it's a once-for-all thing. God declares it, boom, it's done. And it is entirely, 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 entirely God's work. Um, and this justification is the same in all believers. Past, present, future. Okay? He doesn't, God doesn't justify this one one way, and this one another way, and this one another No, it's all the same. But when we talk about sanctification, especially what we're talking about here with the progressive sanctification, it's an internal condition. And it's continuous through our life. Justification, one time. Sanctification, it's continuous. Justification, entirely God's work. Sanctification, we're cooperating. And sanctification actually can 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 be greater in some than in others. In this life. Okay. So that's the second aspect the progressive sanctification. Then there's a, a third aspect. It's the best one. Perfect sanctification. One day, friends, we will be forever separated from sin and temptation. Think about that. Think about that. Won't that be a great day to wake up to? All right? That we won't have any sin that trips us up, we won't have any temptations that come our way and, and try to snare us. No, we will have a, a perfect sanctification. When does that happen? Not in this life. Not in this life. It's in the life to come. Perfect sanctification. It's really just simply, it's just positional sanctification. The first one, fully realized. God's already declared holy, and then we're going to realize the fullness of that in the next life. So, while we are positionally sanctified or holy in Christ, we don't at this time experience the full realization of this. Why? Well, because we, we still, we're still sinners. We're still walking in the flesh. We're still affected by temptation. We still sadly give in to sin. Of course, we don't sin as we once did, right? We're no longer enslaved to it. We're no longer held under the full weight of its power. And We don't make a practice of sinning. So that's the idea of perfect sanctification. Look at 1 John 3. We're going to see that and the others actually all encapsulated in a couple of verses. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved we are God's children. That's kind of the idea of the position of sanctification. We have a position. It does God's children. We are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's the perfect sanctification. He appears, we'll be like him. That's the perfect sanctification. Because we shall see him as he is, And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. And that's the progressive sanctification, the purifying yourself. Look at Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus is, has made me his own. And that's what we want to do, friends. We want to press on to make it our own. Why? Christ Jesus already got us, but we're pressing on to do what Paul says here. Make it our own. Now, this Thessalonian letter, uh, Paul, those first three chapters, if you think about it for a moment, he's talking about where they were and what they've done and even some of what he's done. But now he's going to shift gears and he's going to look to the present and to the future of the church, where they're at and and where they're headed. So I want to focus uh, just briefly on a few words in chapter 4. The sanctification kind of gives you a backdrop of what we're going to discuss the next few weeks and gives you a clearer understanding. So get back in 1 Thessalonians if if you're not there. That first word, finally, I think the NIV translates it as for other matters. This introduces what we might be possibly tempted to think is that he's concluding the letter in chapter 4. He's still got two chapters to go. That's not the case. Uh, It's just kind of a, a, a rather distinct and clear way of switching topics. He actually uses a little bit different word than if he wanted to just say, hey, time to wrap things up. Now he's saying, hey, I already dealt with some topics over here. Now I'm going to deal with some different topics. So a change the pace, like turning a new page. He's going to address certain practical problems that have been troubling the Thessalonians. I want us to notice something here because what were the last uh, three verses of 1 Thessalonians 3 about? What was the focus there? Their prayers, right? Their prayers. Yes? So, I think that's important. Because he's talked about everything that they've done and where they've been. And now he's, he's switching and he's going to be giving them some instruction on different things. But how does he lead into that? With prayer. Think about that. Why is that important? Because when you go to give instruction to someone, friends, it needs to be bathed in prayer. It needs to be bathed in prayer. And Paul literally does this in his letter. He prays for them and then he gives them instruction. That's a great model for us to follow. You got to talk to someone, whether it's uh, your boss, your employer, your neighbor. You have to give any type of instruction, your children, anything. Start with prayer. Just if you just, you, you praying before you even go to them. Friends, we underestimate and, and we devalue the importance of prayer in situations like these. I, I don't know how many times, I, it, I, it, I mean, it's just amazing. God comes through for us time and time again. But he wants to know that we're depending on him in that very moment. So when I'm, when I'm counseling someone, when I'm talking, I mean, I'm almost like in, in, a, in a constant state of prayer, asking for illumination by God himself so I can minister to this person. Is that if, if, if it's just me and, and the Spirit is like, I'm out of here, like I'm in trouble. Okay? And the same is true for you all. If we just try to depend on, on our worldly wisdom, on our basic knowledge, and we remove the Spirit from the equation, we're toast. We are toast. Paul knows this. I think we know this, but we need to make sure we know it. And we need to put prayer first. It needs to be at the, at the top of our list. It needs to be the most important activity of our day, every day. It's our spiritual nutrition. We need to be eating it throughout the day. So that's how he starts, Verse uh, leading up to it, he, he starts with the prayer. Then he gets into verse 1 and 2. Notice what he says in verse 2. You know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. That word instructions was often used actually for military commands or for a civil order. Like uh, if you think of like a court or a magistrate given something. Acts uses it a couple times. Don't turn there, just listen. Acts 5.28. uh, The apostles appear before uh, the Jerusalem Council. We strictly charged you, that's the word there, we strictly charged you not to teach in his name. We gave you these orders. We gave you these instructions. They're speaking almost like declaratively. Acts 16.24, the Philippian jailer, it says, Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The idea is that these instructions are of a serious nature, not something we just, you know, I'm just going to casually mention this in passing. No, they're serious. They have a weighty authority to them, so they need to be heard and followed out carefully and without delay. Additionally, in that verse, notice what it says. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So These aren't just the apostles' words. Anytime he's speaking, he's speaking of a, from a position of authority, but it's not his own authority. He has authority, but it's been granted to him by Christ himself. He is an appointed apostle. So he makes that clear. A lot of times you see in Christ, through Christ, by Christ... Paul can't make it clear that whatever he's communicating to people is not his. It's someone else's. It's God's. Even here, when he's saying that, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He's saying with the authority of Jesus. Not not our authority. We gave you instructions. We gave you serious, weighty commands to follow. And I'm about to do it again. But they're not mine. They come from Jesus himself. We're, we're not bound to man's word. We're bound to God's word. So God has given his word to us and we must take it with the importance and weight that it's given and how it comes to us. Do you want holiness? Do you want holiness? Then Then the first step is to receive the Word in its fullness. You know, we approach the Word pretty pretty apathetically at times. And we read the Word pretty apathetically at times. And, and we hear the Word pretty lazily at times. And we respond to the Word pretty jokingly at times. When, when we talk about receiving the Word in the New Testament and we're receiving the instructions, it follows with it the connotation that we're not just hearing it, but we're actually doing it. We follow it out. So if we want to be holy, we can't be haphazard, we can't be ambivalent, we can't be apathetic about conforming ourselves to the very standard that God has set for us. When it comes to us becoming more like Christ's, we can't just float along. It's, uh, I think, one of the people at our Foundations Conference a couple years ago talked about it. It's like, you know, when you're uh, <clears throat> working your way, trying to go up an escalator backwards, right? What happens? You get up that escalator. What happens if you stop? Start going backwards again, right? You're trying to make your way to the top. We got all sorts of things working against us. We're trying to get up to the top of that escalator. But when we pause, we don't just stay where we're at. We end up sliding backwards so again if we want to be holy we have to we have to have a seriousness to it we have to have an intentionality to it and when it comes to becoming more like christ we can't just float along imagine for a moment you lived in a land that had a king and you were a citizen of that land and he says to you man i have i have i have these gold mines i have these gold mines and here are my gold mines, and you can dig and take however much you want. Now one, uh, how would you feel towards this, King? (laughs) You feel adoration, a thankfulness. Man, wow, that's amazing. Friend, God offers to you all the gold in the world. It is the riches of heaven. It's his mercy, his grace, his truth, his very word. And you can have as much of it as you want. You can. And, I, and, and what do we do? We settle for like little slivers. And we stand at the mine and, and we hardly venture into the mine. We're just, we're just fine to pick away at the edges of the mine. Looking for a sliver of gold here and there. God wants us to go in. There's just gold all over the place in there. I mean, a lot of it, it's not like you even hardly need a pickaxe for. But you do have to go seeking for that gold. The king says it's yours. The gold is there. But you got to take it. you got to want it. you got to take it. And friends, his, his word is like gold. That's how his word is. And, and, and think about John 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This whole idea of, of holiness, of sanctification, Jesus Himself, John 17, grounds it in His very word. Sanctify them. Make them holy. Set them apart in your truth. Your word is truth. I, I, God, there is something amazing that, that God somehow uses his word to make us more like him. I can't honestly, completely, fully describe it. I just know when I'm in this and I'm reading it and I'm studying it, I'm a different person. And I'm growing. And it sounds so simple at times just, oh, just pray and read and pray and read and pray and read. Well, it is simple. But it's pretty hard. But I'm telling you, friends, and many of you can agree and understand this thing this word it transforms you yes. i've read many 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 books some of them more than once this one many times those books they might give encourage me they might help me this thing transforms me and it can transform you too but we got to be in there we got to be mining it and some of that gold. it's just like you just turn you know some of the Oh, look at that gold there you know and turn a couple look at that gold there there's just gold all over the place But do we want the gold? The king offers the gold. Do we want the gold? Friends, if we want that first aspect of sanctification, well, we have that with Christ. God offers it to each person here. That initial sanctification. Holiness, it comes through trusting in Christ as your Savior. The progressive sanctification, walking with Christ, takes some effort on our parts. And I think this, this coronavirus has made many of us lazy many of us lazy spiritually maybe physically but spiritually friends it's time for us to wake up you know god's doing a work and he wants to do a work and he will do a work and he wants you to be a part of that work he wants you to be involved with what he's already doing but if you want to be a part of that, if you want to walk in His ways, if you want to grow, we have got to get in that Word. We've got to be men and women of His Word. Friends, I want to encourage you to have the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. This is what one author said. If the world that was made in six days is a fabric so excellent... What will that city be which has been building and beautifying from eternity? Enter, will Christ say, into the kingdom prepared for you. God is still preparing, furnishing, and perfuming heaven for you. Right. This is not our end here. This is not our end. Okay? The best truly is yet to come. Not in this life, but in the life to come. And we need to make sure we're setting our heart and sights on heaven. Who's there? Jesus. Where is he at? The right hand of the Father. Colossians 3. Set our hearts on things above. Set our hearts on Christ alone. Let's get to a place where it's me in Christ, where it's you in Christ, where it's us in Christ collectively, walking in his ways, seeking him, doing everything for his glory. Let's pray. Father, take us as your chosen vessels. Impact us today with the truth of these things. These are weighty matters. And, Lord, I I pray for anyone here who might, might be discouraged that you'd give them the hope of being with you one day. They have you now. It's through that glass looking dimly, Lord. Give them the hope of heaven, the hope of being fully united with you face to face. And I do pray, God, for a spirit of repentance for all of us to walk in humility, to walk in confession of sin, to walk in forsaking of sin. Enliven us to Your Word, Father. Give us that desire back for those that have lost it. Show us the gold that resides in your word. And may we mine it and mine it to know you more and to be conformed to the image of your Son. Amen.